Next hour on most of these the same frequencies. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Today we are going to talk about a rather serious topic, the future. This is Cracking the Code with Sadir Ispahani. In this episode, Pacific Union International Southern California President Nick Siegel shares his story of losing both parents by age 14, but he was determined to be a survivor. It was really from a perspective of, I'm going to survive, I'm going to, I'm going to win, I'm going to, whatever, whatever my past is will not bring me down. And uh, I took on this mantle of, I'm fine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, don't worry about me. And that to me was a dem that demonstration of feigned courage was the opportunity to survive. Although Siegel, son of a screenwriter, nephew of a famous actor, was himself making a living in Hollywood as an actor, he became a real estate agent. At first, Siegel says he was just selling real estate, working toward closing and his commission. But then he found another path to success. Instead of selling, he gave information that helped the client. Whether you use me or not, I want to give you enough information so that you can make an informed decision that serves your needs so that you can then move forward in a way that serves you best. It's an innovation that brought great success for Siegel. Another key value that helped Siegel crack the code is being clear and honest in his communications. I just honor my word. I'm thoughtful with my word. I'm thoughtful with the commitments that I make. I don't want to make a commitment I can't honor. Now your guide for cracking the code, Sudhir Ispahani. Nick, an absolute pleasure to have you on our show, Cracking the Code. As you know, this is a show about what it takes to be a leader. You really start early on with heartfelt philosophies and what that really means to you. And of course, you know what your life journey and life lessons have been. One of my first questions, Nick, to you would be... Uh, Take us back to your early childhood days and walk us through that journey, if you will, a little bit. Uh, parents divorced when I was one, so it was an interesting dynamic growing up with my my mother and my older sister uh, in on the East Coast in West Hampton Beach. My father lived in the city in Greenwich Village uh, with a new wife, and uh, life was pretty simple uh, for most of my early childhood. Um, However, by the time I was 13, my mother took her life. And so that put my world upside down. And uh, being the one that found her the first time she tried that uh, with sleeping pills. So uh, for a 13-year-old boy, uh, you know, my mother was very, very important and still is to this day. But So then my father swooped in, and so we went to live with him in Connecticut. And... Uh, we weren't there more than five weeks before we headed to Los Angeles because my father was a screenplay writer. Mm -hmm. And so readjusting again and again. And uh, now there were four of us in a family, uh, my stepsister, my younger half-brother, my sister and I. And then within 14 months, my father contracted colon cancer and passed away uh, by uh, May of 75. So suddenly orphaned, uh, at 14, uh, life, life as I had known it was no more. Uh, it was just a memory. And uh, one of the saving graces as a child was my father and my brother, his brothers had gone to Quaker boarding schools. Mm -hmm. And so that opportunity was afforded me, and I jumped all over it. So Because I'd heard all these wonderful stories about them and growing up in high school. So I went to George School, a, a school in Laurel Bucks County, Pennsylvania, beautiful part of the world. And uh, my sophomore year, and I, I, there I was able to find some sort of stability. Uh, the Quakers are a wonderful philosophy. And um, so that's where I, I took up roots. And um, my uncles were wonderful, and they stepped forward, and my aunts as well. And... Um, that's when I started getting into a leadership role, too. That's where I, I saw that the opportunity to not only be accepted, but to create a place for myself. And so there was a student um, 
Association for Greater Empathy. It was called uh, SAGE. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was peer counseling. And ironic that I would now be, you know, peer counseling others. But there was great um, opportunity in that for me. It was, it, 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 it was a sense of belonging. And, uh, and so I, I participated in that. And that was a great honor. And I was also um, a prefect my senior year where I was you know, on on the floor, uh, on, on the dormitory hall, and we were kind of the, we kept order. And that was also an honor. So um, I thrived in that environment. And it was really from a perspective of, I'm going to survive. I'm going to, I'm going to win. I'm going to, whatever, whatever my past is, will not bring me down. And uh, I took on this mantle of, I'm fine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And that to me was a dem that demonstration of feigned courage was the opportunity to survive and belong and not call undue attention to myself. Mm -hmm. And so when I wrote On Your Terms uh, to, to lead with that story of, of that time in my life when my, my parents had died, uh, I really had a great challenge with that. Uh, would I put that in the story and would mm -hmm. I include that in the book? But and, and not from a place of being maudlin. The intent was to truly let the reader know that no matter what your history, no matter what your background, depending on how badly you want it and and why you want what you want and what is your heartfelt desire, that anybody can get that. So that's kind of a, a, a snapshot of, of my youth. It's very interesting to, to hear you share this very touching part of your early childhood life, but obviously that threw you instantly into adversity. And how did that really uh, shape your thinking? Yeah, well, I, I, I found what the bottom was. You know, I'd, I'd, I realized that if I were going to take risks in my life, and I, and I started taking risks relatively early after my parents passed, and I realized that no matter what the outcome is, it's not going to be worse than what I've already been through. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it, it became a blessing in certain respects because it gave me not only perspective, it also gave me great compassion mm. um, when people would tell me their story mm -hmm. uh, or what, what, whatever the concern was. I could kick into another level of empathy because I'd, I'd experienced so much loss and, and pain uh, myself. And it was rare that I would ever share my story but I, w I could just immediately connect with them and uh, early on in, in business worlds or in personal relationships, um, although there was a, a gaping hole inside of me that still needed to be filled, and it, it didn't, that didn't get filled in, well into my late 20s and then through my 30s. Um, but there was still that opportunity to, to take adversity on head-on mm -hmm. because... Um, couldn't get worse, and uh, those that were with me along the way, I could. I built wonderful relationships with people because I could look at whatever the situa situation was and be just just more earnest and uh, sensitive to what was going on. Early on, you you mentioned a few things: empathy, compassion. These were things that you know in the real world, young teenagers won't just pick up. <laughs> but clearly, your circumstances brought you to become more convicting in your thinking, I think, and thinking through what, what that really means. How did you get to play that out? And obviously, you've had a phenomenally successful career, and you know we'll talk a little bit about that. But early on, these key values started shaping your thinking. How did you sort of start practicing that? Well, one of the first things that I really learned about myself was that I had the opportunity to trust myself. And because I can't speak for anybody else, but did I always honor my word? And, and it's a subtle little beast because I could say, oh, sure, I'll meet you uh, next week. And knowing full well, I'm not going to meet you next week. Or, yeah, I'll be there at 3 o'clock on Thursday. And, and knowing that, well, maybe I will be, maybe I won't. But it's, is that the end of the world? I, I learned the impeccability of my word and I learned that through that impeccability that I, I became much more thoughtful as to what I was going to commit to. And when I did commit to it, uh, I 
from the greatest, deepest part of me, honored those commitments. And so as I honored those commitments to others, I realized I could start to honor those commitments in myself. And so personal trust became my personal integrity. And it became like breathing. To, to break that uh, felt so uncomfortable to me that I, 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 I chose not to do it. So I've become far more judicious uh, in, in when, I, when I give my word, how I give my word, and I'm very clear uh, of what comes with that. Um, I'm, I'm very exacting mm-hmm. that way, and, and there's, there's, just, there's just a great foundation that comes as a result of that for me. That's been my experience. Mm. You mentioned, uh, you know, your father was exposed to a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, more critical awareness of how to live life. And can you share a little bit about how that had an influence in your own own life? Sure. Yeah. So when I was nine, my father uh, went to Rome to work on a movie called Brother, Son, Sister, Moon about St. Francis of Assisi. And he found a spiritual teacher, Charan Singh, while he was there. And so he was there for five weeks and came back uh, immersed in this new philosophy. And uh, for my part, that's where I first started learning about karma, you know, and I started learning about cause and effect on that level. And I could see how committed he was to, I'm a nine-year-old kid, what did I know? But I, I certainly knew that there was no more meat in the house, there were no more eggs in the house, no more, like, what, how, how are we not going to McDonald's when, you know, when I come over? So, um, but that was his commitment. He meditated for two hours every morning. And so I learned, I saw discipline through him that way. And he was a very charismatic guy. And I remember once, because we, 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 he was a screenplay writer, we were on the set of, uh, I think we were at Warner Brothers, and I'm you know, just a kid, and this very famous actor at the time comes up to my father, and my father knew him in New York. And he said, Fred, we, oh my gosh, you're here now, we gotta get together. And uh, my father just smiled, he said, well, we'll see, because now he was very impeccable with his word as well. And so after the meeting, I said, my gosh, are you, are, are you going to see him? He goes, ah, I got it. And I realized in that moment that time is precious, and who do we spend time with? And that has stayed with me to this day. So I'm very judicious with, with, with my friends. Uh, what we're talking about now, this is heaven to me. This is uh, talking about the heart, talking about integrity, talking about living one's dream. Uh, that's, that's, what, that's what excites me. It looks like early on, uh, you know, observing your your dad made made a big difference in in some of the things you you picked up. Clearly, leadership, looking back now, has been a very important part of your life. Early on, you were thrust into it. Take us through that journey and through your career a little bit, and how you've you've created not just success for yourself, but really your success is deemed by the people who really believe in themselves, and you've done some phenomenal work through your book and through your workshops. So please roll that story. So I, I was an actor. Uh, my uncle is George Siegel, the actor, and uh, so there's definitely been the entertainment business in my world, which is an interesting dynamic to try and come into the world of pure integrity, right? I mean, it's uh, that is its own business with its own challenges. But So uh, I, I was making a living at it, and... But while I was doing uh, a commercial at the time, a gentleman that I was doing the commercial with, he was in real estate. And I said, well, what is that, real estate? He goes, well, you take this book around and you you um, show people houses. And it seemed very nondescript, but I said, well, I can do that. And so having been working on my impeccability, working on my sense of self-trust, mm-hmm. Being in the world now of real estate and, and, and the perceptions of a real estate agent and how could I make a difference with each client that I interfaced with? And so my leadership inside of myself was just was really parlaying the trust that I had in myself and, and asking if I could be of service to people, but understanding the consciousness of service. Understanding that the money takes care of itself if the service and, and the effort is in integrity and, and, and fulfilling to that person and delivering. Uh, re- I'm a very results-oriented person. 
And um, that's one of my metrics. Did, did it work? Um, so being thrust into now this new career with, uh, with uh, being newly married, we'd adopted our first child, and I'm 28 years old, and I'm thinking, well, I got to lay down my, my acting, you know, cleats and, and, and get into something that, that has a little more, you know, stability. And so playing to that, I, I, I started to work one-on-one with people consistently. And I realized what worked, and I realized what didn't work. And I realized if I was selling, I was pushing people away. But if I was offering genuine value to the best of my ability, people would then start to become attracted to that. And so I, I joined a very small firm, uh, a young firm. I was the 12th agent there. And I started developing programs and things that had worked for me. And I, I, I went to the broker of record and I said, I'm, this is working for me. I'm, I, I don't, I'm not very new. To, I'm not very old in business, but would you like me to share any of this information? And he said, absolutely share it. And one of the things that I, that I proposed was a service guarantee. And that was if we will put in writing that if we don't honor everything that we say that we're going to do on your behalf in the sale of your home, you can cancel the listing with 24 hours notice. And I said, are you open to that idea? Because that's what I'm offering. I'm writing it in my contracts. He goes, absolutely, let's make that a company policy. So clearly I found a like-minded person. And, and, and this person ended up being a really a valuable part of our lives. And when we didn't have a lot of money and we wanted to adopt our second child, he put the $15,000 to, to, for the process to, for a private adoption on a credit card because he didn't have it either. So it, it, there's just such a sweetness in that. And I, 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 may I never lose sight of those relationships along the way. But So I just started creating programs that people gravitated to and other agents gravitated to. And they started to see that they could do things differently. And we grew a company. I, I, was, I was gifted an ownership interest in that first company because these demonstrations and these offerings and with I didn't care for anything in return I just it was the right thing to do and it served me very very well it served my family very well and we grew that company from me being the 12th agent to a 650 agent firm with nine with nine locations and uh, we sold that company to um, a fortune 500 company in 2004 and that company is, is still here in Los Angeles because of the fact that they bought our firm so just the genuine giving, mm-hmm. it, it, it served me well. You mentioned a couple of very key nuggets uh, for all of us to learn from. And define for us your leadership style, what, what that would be and how you would really propagate that because you do a lot of workshops and you, and you do a lot of leadership coaching work today in your in your world. So what would you share for our audience that, would be key learnings from what an up-and-coming leader should should be thinking about. The first thing I, I would never ask someone to do something I wouldn't do myself. Um, and if I'm going to then suggest something, I'm suggesting it because I've already tested it out and I've already got a degree of confidence that it works. And I will also. It, it depends on the dynamic of the leadership. If I'm working with someone in partnership. I'm, you're, you're not going to hear me say you need to. I'm, you're going to hear me say, for your consideration, you may want to think about this. This has served me well. Um, we lead by example. I have always led by example. Um, and and one, a great way to educate is either through the facts of, of, of the situation or a story about what, how, it, in context to what is the situation at hand. And honoring my word uh, by demonstration, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Uh, that's and 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 encouraging people to risk themselves, encouraging them to take a chance, and take a chance knowing that if your heart says yes to do it, you're going to learn exquisite lessons. Whether you get the immediate result you're looking for or not, you're still the experience is going to have such value add for you and then you'll start to trust you'll build that muscle of trusting your heart even more mm-hmm. so leadership to me is demonstration leadership is then also making sure there's accountability from both parts 
both sides. Um, I'm very accountable to myself, and I ask others that are working with me to be accountable. Earlier conversations, we talked a little bit about leading from the heart and integrity. Define those for me from your perspective and your life experiences. If I'm leading from my heart, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm never wrong because my heart has no other agenda other than to express my loving. Mm-hmm. And when I'm expressing my loving, I'm, I'm on the right track. And, and I give other people the opportunity to activate their loving response. And when two people are in a loving communication, I don't care if we're negotiating a $30 million deal. If we're in our loving, that by demonstration is the honoring of the other person. It is the, it is the, the caring for the other person's uh, greater good as well. Because the deal may not come together, but the relationship can live on. And it's amazing how many relationships that I have created um, beyond a singular point of focus that have just evolved because we, we shared a common um, commitment to that, to that clarity of purpose. And so leading from the heart to me is, is expressing my heart and being, and being courageous enough to not care what you think. You know, this is, this, is, this is the best of who I am, and I'd rather show you the best of who I am than a limiting characteristic of who I am because then you're not going to really get the full experience of what I can offer you. And you've found that work in terms of the way you communicate with people and, and what they really pick up? What I get, what it, it serves me in that I have clean communications with people. Mm-hmm. I never need to be concerned that, that I've either, mm, how do I want to say this? The clarity of my communication mm-hmm. makes everyone understand exactly where I'm coming from. And the only agenda is, does that serve you? There's, uh, I've created nine keys of negotiation. And the third key is, I think, the most important key of all of them. And it is, it's whether you, you use me or not. And it's, the idea is this. Whether you use me or not, I want to give you enough information so that you can make an informed decision that serves your needs so that you can then move forward in a way that serves you best. And when I speak with people from that genuine authority, because it is an authority, because there's a trust that comes behind it, and there's also a confidence that I do have information, I do have value that I can offer you, use it to your full advantage. And when I present myself from that perspective, people will do a couple of things. One, they drop their guard. Two, they're more they feel in a safer space to share what's really going on so that I can give them the full extent of my value based on the true and genuine desire that they have and how I can assist. Those that, that, that trusted enough in themselves mm-hmm. to not be attached to the outcome, to suspend that reality. Sure, we all have bills to pay. We all have mortgages. We have cars. We have kids. We have all of these things. But in the moment of that critical bonding in a negotiation, there's no place for it there because it's not going to positively affect the outcome. It's only going to inhibit the outcome because there's, there's a lack of consciousness. This is a very abundant consciousness whether you use me or not. Mm-hmm. And from that place, you get the reciprocity coming back. So coming back to that definition of integrity, how do you see that play out and how do you define that? I just honor my word. I'm thoughtful with my word. I'm thoughtful with the commitments that I make. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to make a commitment I can't honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we, we act from the information that we have in that moment, right? New information comes in all the time. Part of integrity for me is to be able to renegotiate my word with new information. Mm-hmm. I said I was going to be there at 3 o'clock, but now my kid is sick. And I'm so sorry, but that's, that is taking priority in this moment. And please let me know and we can reschedule. Or I don't know how long I'm going to be tied up with this. I, if we have to go to the hospital, I don't know what that's going to look like. May I call you back as soon as I free up? You will be my first call. That to me is honoring my integrity because it also honors my, my world you know, my life and, and the things that I've already created that are important to me. I want to make sure those get, they get taken care of as well. You've written a book <laughs> and I would love to, uh, for our audience, for you to share a little bit about how you ended up there 
it'll be good to uh, to know that but more importantly the key tenets of uh, your intent in uh, in putting that into into uh, press well the book was really designed to be a bridge uh, towards success personal success and I'd seen so many books give one of three dynamics of success creation one is how do I feel better about myself mm-hmm. so there's a whole topic and focus and literature on I'm going to make you feel better about yourself or I'm going to show you some keys to feel better about yourself. But then what? Okay, I feel good about myself, but I'm no closer to my success that I want to create. So the second facet of the book is what do you want? Why do you want it? And how can I assist you and get greater clarity as to what success means to you? So if you if you if you build on a foundation of I feel good about myself. I have value and I want to share that value. And now you can apply that value in in your definition of success as you create it. Uh, for your benefit, that's in alignment with your heart, with your why, what gets you up in the morning. There's, I issue a challenge to people. I say, as opposed to asking the question, what do I have to do today when you're lying there in bed, why am I doing it? Mm-hmm. Because if I understand why I'm doing it and it's in alignment with that greater purpose, that becomes the priority. That's what gives me enthusiasm to get out of bed and do it and move forward towards its achievement. And then the third facet of the book is about negotiation because people don't like to negotiate for themselves. And it's very difficult for them to ask for what it is that they want. So now if you consider this as the third leg of this tripod, you own your value, you're clear about what it is that you want, and now you have the negotiating keys to go ask for what you want, I think you're positioned far better to actually achieve the success that you truly want to realize. And so the book uh, explores those different aspects. There are opportunities to do exercises in the book. There's also an audio book, so if you like the sound of my voice, you can get it in audio as well. And uh, it's really designed almost like a paint-by-numbers um, series of steps. And if, if, if anyone has read Think and Grow Rich, um, that was the, the, the foundation of the book mm-hmm. uh, that I first started uh, bringing my, my most recent company through that I, that I had built and created, bringing those agents through that, the processes of Think and Grow Rich. But I realized that it's a bit stilted. It's a little outdated, you know. You know, every good man has a good woman behind them, and there's, you know, everything is written as that he needs this and he needs that. So it's a little, a little dated from that perspective. And it's also outside in. It's also just say these affirmations, these pre-populated affirmations, a hundred times, and say them over and over by rote until you start to believe them. Well, the the the, the premise and the exercises of of on your terms. Of the book that, that Laura, my wife, and I wrote, is you discover what your affirmations are based on the qualities of what are really important to you, like loving, joy, abundance. If those are three things that you want to experience in all dynamics of your life, well, let's create an affirmation that, that feathers in those qualities mm-hmm. in a statement so you can apply it to every one of those different aspects of your life. So... That's kind of the overview. Of the it's book. a huge paradigm shift in your business, and this kind of thinking, would you say? To say the very least. Well, I will tell you the reason I started Partners Trust, the second company that that I built from scratch. I mean, the first one I I, I was gifted into it, and the 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 second company, Partners Trust, was a that was that was my why. I'm going to raise the level of integrity and 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 the consciousness of our industry, and I'm going to do it by bringing together a group of people that are already demonstrating that consciousness and we're going to demonstrate to to a community that business can be done this way mm-hmm. and we achieved that in 8 years we went from four of us in a room uh, in boxes and looking for the fax machine in 2009, which, by the way, was a really interesting time to start a, a real estate company in, in, in the midst of the financial crisis and real estate being at the, you know, the epicenter of it. Um, you know, I, but we, did, we wanted to have fun, too. My goodness, please. Uh, one, of my, one of my styles of leadership is let's bring the humor in. Let's bring the joy into what we're doing. This is not that serious. And uh, we had a, our first advertisement to the, to the brokerage community was 
a full-page ad, and it said, proudly serving our community since last Thursday. And so we just thought that was just cute and fun and cheeky, and, uh, but, and, and people caught the vision of that company. And so then eight years later, we sold that firm uh, for millions of dollars, and uh, it, it, it really achieved something wonderful uh, in, a, in its greatest form. Many lessons learned as to how how a great premise and, and uh, a heartfelt intention, it needs to be fueled, it needs to be sustained. And if priorities change, then the vision gets muddied. And uh, that company served a wonderful purpose. And, uh, and now I have the opportunity through the book and with the people that I talk to, to keep propelling that message. I had a couple of recent large business successes to so share with us a little bit about how that's affected change and what you're going to be doing in your new role. It looks like more evangelizing and <laughs> more change. <laughs> uh, well, so we sold Partners Trust in 2017, and we were one of three firms that were bought by a firm up in San Francisco. And so there were three cultures that had been competing with each other, now all coming together in this kumbaya moment, which, well... I don't know if that can, that didn't happen overnight, that's for sure. And so now we're three cultures trying to adopt a fourth culture in a, a location in Los Angeles. No one had heard of that company. They'd well-known and respected in San Francisco. So it was now my charge to try and bring those four cultures together. Mm-hmm. And we I started in the role in January of, of this year, of 18. And then uh, about two and a half, three weeks ago, it was announced that the whole company that we'd all been a part of and rolled in together now got rolled up and resold to a, now a national brand. And so now we're part of the third largest company uh, in all of brokerage in the United States. And, uh, and my charge, you know, I went from 240 people and seven offices now to 900 people and 22 offices. And now... There are now 30 offices and about uh, 12 or 1,300 people. Uh, I'm still getting my arms around it again. And so now rebranding again and new culture. And, and again, the thing that's keeping me most in alignment with all of it is just staying true to my heart and, and, and my demonstration. And, and I, see, I think it's very good for the industry. I think it's very good for everybody that's, that's, that's all of our partners together. I think we, we can... They're great opportunities there, but so inside of my mind, it's like wow, you know, I'm I'm one big wow of, of how do how do we how does how scalable is it? We're going to find out. You know, you've done this for a couple of years now, trying to get these cultures assimilated, integrated into some common philosophies. What have been some of those lessons that uh, you've learned, and uh, you would want to share? There's a lot of leaders out there who are going through similar processes in other verticals and other industries, constantly pulling uh, disparate businesses together, merging, etc. So, any nuggets of wisdom you'd want to share with leaders in in, in your seat, if you will? Right? Get clear about what is your vision. Get clear about what you want to achieve, uh, how you want to do it, and most importantly, why you want to do it. What is the spirit that you're looking to create? Because that's the undercurrent of all of it. And and stay very vigilant, uh, diligent, vigilant, and discerning about um, because and 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 give the space and, and and allow for the freedom of those that don't want to share that vision to go. Mm-hmm. Let them go. Let them self-select out, and don't take it personally. Um, stay true to what you want to do and how you want to do it and share your why don't be scared to share what's at the root of what you're doing and what your heart is behind it because those that are inspired to be a part of that they will help you they will help do the heavy lifting with you and say I get it and I want to play in that field and that's going to be those are your players. Those that, that those are the foxholers, as I call them, nuns that that are truly in it with you. And and it's okay. Let it take some time. Patience is okay. And hopefully, you have the resources to to allow for that vision to take take hold and 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 really manifest itself.
Clearly, technology has become a major enabler for all of us. Of course, in your business, it's, it's also becoming very real and very useful in many facets. What would you say some of the things are that, that are on the horizon for making your business you know, doubly successful in, in, uh, in enabling and using technology? Where do you see some of that coming into play? I think the dissemination of accurate information and, and to have it at your fingertips um, is a tremendous asset uh, and an enabler for and, and a credibility opportunity for for individuals to then say to a consumer, this is what the market is. And, and I can look at this in eight different ways now with technology, but it all points to a very similar uh, result, which is, in this case, real estate, your home is going to sell in this kind of window of pricing. And based on where you price it, it's going to sell this efficiently in this period of time. Using technology to give people greater peace of mind that the decisions that they make are decisions that that are smart decisions, that are that are the accurate decision. There's no right or wrong in it, it but is it accurate? You know, let's let's play to the accuracy. And so technology will help compile data um, and the speed to then bring it and the ease to bring it to people so they can in digestible form. The thing that people care about with data is is my data going to be used inappropriately? Mm-hmm. And uh, we do our best to safeguard that. And I think we, we as stewards of, of, of the world, we need to be, we need to be stewards of the, of the honoring of, of people's personal information. And that is the biggest challenge of technology. The more they have access to it, the more they can manipulate it and, and use it in more nefarious ways. And, and I hope that as technology expands that we build in those safeguards. We don't, we don't rush to the marketplace with the technology before those safeguards are in place that can protect the consumer as opposed to making them vulnerable. So I think in my business, uh, that speed of information is a tremendous facet. Um, but again, the human component, specifically in my world of emotion and uh, their largest asset and the fact that they're not cookie-cutter assets. We're not buying a, a case of Coca-Cola here, you know, where can you get it for six cents less than another, another retailer. It's an individual product, and it, it, its condition is individual. And how do you assess all of those details, and how do you deal with the emotion of... Uh, the seller and how do you deal with the emotion of the buyer and uh, it's a dance. I'm sure you've had a few interesting uh, stories and learnings in oh, that whole space. my goodness, yes. I could write a whole book just on the experiences, mm-hmm. per- people's personalities. Early on in our conversation, you mentioned a little bit about selling versus really speaking from the heart. Yeah. Share a little bit and if you can expound a little bit about what that really means, because I've been in the world of technology for a long time, and of course, most recently in the world of investing in Silicon Valley, and I'm just very curious, because if you if you look at, I'm sure you've been exposed to venture capitalists and many others, and they do sometimes oversell their products, their startups, and they want you to invest, etc. Right? Love to hear your philosophy around, you know, how you turn that around. Because in the world of real estate, my experience has been always overselling, you yeah. know, trying to get me Close into the deal. Yeah, yeah well, that's the business yeah. model, right? They don't get real estate agents don't get paid until the deal closes, which is, I think, one of the fundamental issues with the industry. But that's a whole other story. Um, selling versus I call it educating. See, if I educate you, I'm giving you information from the spirit of, of, of empowering you mm-hmm. as opposed to selling you something to try and convince you of something. And when I'm trying to sell you on something, I'm not giving you all the information. I'm giving you the information in manipulated form to try and pique your interest. Mm-hmm. And and there's, there's less opportunity and room for you to ask questions if I'm selling you. The only question I may ask you is, does that make sense? Are, are you with me? You know, but there's a there's an energetic that goes with it as opposed to this is the information, these are the opportunities, here are the pros, here are the cons. But if you look at it in context with what your needs are, does what I'm offering you fulfill a need for you and or a service? And or do you see the value in it enough that you would in turn want to invest in it? Do you see that there's a market for this? And let's really have a discussion about that and punch holes in it. You see, when someone's selling, 
I don't think there are too many people that are going to give you the opportunity to explore the idea of punching holes in an idea. Mm -hmm. But if you presented something and say, this is based on the intelligence that we've got, based on the data that we've collected, this is where we see there's an opportunity, this is where we this is based on the metrics, this is what the return could be, mm-hmm. and this is what we're asking of you if you catch the spirit of it and want to play in it. What, my first question is, why wouldn't you invest in this? Mm-hmm. I mean, what if we turned it on that as opposed to what do you think? So tell me why you wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And and explore that because maybe the filters weren't just quite open. You know, we all, I believe that the, most people go into negotiations with either one or two mindsets. Either, are you going to screw me over or are you going to take care of me? Mm-hmm. And when you understand that those are the two audiences that could greet you at the door, it's, you can be a very quick study to realize which one of them you're, are, are, you're, you've met and then speak to that person because the best educators get you beyond your own preconceived notions mm-hmm. to then open up and explore the possibility of what's being presented. And that's when true inspiration comes forward, and that's when a VC, and here's a, most VCs are looking for the end game, right? Mm-hmm. But what if the VC, based on their experience, was invited to participate in the creation of the next phase, not from where the money's coming from, but how do we evolve this product or service and make it even better? Mm-hmm. Because they're presented with information all day long about mm-hmm. different opportunities use that resource and apply it to the, 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 the things that they invest in and make them part of your partners on another level. Bring their humanity into it and their wisdom. That would require uh, putting down of your own ego, right? Ah, yes. Yes, that would. I, I don't know. Ego is great to get us out of bed in the morning, and then I think we got to check it right there. We leave it on the pillow and say, now let's, let's bring our hearts forward and let's see how we can communicate from that place because... Those are the far more compelling and more engaging conversations. Nick, how did you learn that lesson? Because you, you're very successful, yeah. obviously. Trial and error. I mean, I tried to sell. Oh, God. I, I fell on my ass so many times <laughs> trying to convince you to do something. And I, I literally, and I talk about it in the book, I was just pounding my head against the wall. Yeah. Like, this is not working. And moreover, I am not enjoying any of this. And as soon as I took that leap of faith, because it is a leap of faith, yeah. and I'm going to say, I, I'm not going to try and say anything. I'm just going to tell you, here's what it is. You told me you wanted this. Does this meet your needs? And it just, I could see it consistently. People opened up. I slowed down. They slowed down. We had conversations mm-hmm. about the best way to proceed as opposed to how quickly can we get to the we're proceeding now. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I just, the quality of my life got better and I, and I was aware enough to realize that the massive result of that was because I was slowing down enough to trust that what I had to offer had real value and to claim that. Spending a lot of time now doing workshops around obviously training mm-hmm. real estate world and developing these these leadership thoughts and mm-hmm. techniques. How do you see that coming along? I mean, do you see an embrace to this, or do you see resistance to I it? I do. I was at, just recently at a, I did a, an open forum presentation, and then there was a book signing at the end, and it was all the proceeds went to uh, a youth organization uh, affiliated with Insight Seminars, and they do great work. And there was a woman, I had asked everybody to close their eyes, and I said, what is your value? And take a moment and really consider what your value is and what you bring wherever you go. Mm-hmm. And then I asked them to distill it into two words. Mm-hmm. And, and my two words have always, for a long time, have been loving and caring. Mm-hmm. And then I said, so then I asked them all to open their eyes. I said, everyone have their two words? Yes. And I would, I would ask someone to share, invite them to share what their two words and they would share them. And then I would say, so now how do you define those two words? Because I don't want to get into assumption. Mm-hmm. And then how do you demonstrate them? And then the question is, could you demonstrate them in any environment? And so everyone considered that. And I said, okay, so consider your current environment. How could you make it better? And how could it, by applying those two qualities that you've defined and through demonstration, make the environment better? And there was a woman that shared that she worked for uh, the government. And she goes, there's no joy there. I can't stand it. And, and I said, well, what if you shared 
you know, your heart. What if you shared these two qualities? Oh, I could never do that. Why couldn't you do that? She goes, well, because I get fired. I said, wait a minute. You work for the government. You could dance around in a tutu all day long. They can't fire you. you you've got tenure there. And she laughed. And we came to the conclusion, and, and, and I found why she was there that evening. She's, she's been in that government job for 22 years. She's miserable. She wants to find something else to do with her life. And so... We explored how do you bring humor into the work environment. She goes, it's not, I just don't see it. And she goes, I said, well, maybe you should get out of there. And she goes, that's why I'm here. Because mm-hmm. so, I want to explore the next part of my life. And I want to enhance the quality of my life. So people are gravitating to it. you know. And, and I would just say to anybody listening, if you're in an environment where you can't feel free to share those two qualities that are the essence of, of your value, consider that maybe you want to look for another environment to, to express that and share those, those gifts that you are. Uh, you shared a little bit about being results-oriented. Yes. Of course, part of being a successful leader is to ensure that you execute on a plan. Yeah. So your thoughts on that? I'm known as the master of unrealistic expectation. Uh, I've been told that many times, and I laugh at it, And uh, because I'm a hard charger. Uh, I grew up in New York, and uh, that, that part of me is, um, I love that part of me. And yet, what I've come to realize is, let's make sure the expectations um, are in alignment with the intention. And what I mean by that is, we can have lofty expectations that can start to squeeze and clamp and and, and apply pressure to something and choke the life force out of an initiative. But if we understand what the intention is of that, all right, we want to um, we want to raise sales by fifteen percent in the next quarter. Okay, that's the intention, all right? So within that intention, now let's look at the landscape. Where are the opportunities to explore this? What are realistic? What's not realistic? And how do we assess the clay? And, and one of the things that I've also learned is put people in jobs that have the qualifications to do the job mm-hmm. as opposed to people that we like and we hope they can grow into the job. There's a very God, there's a lot of heartache in, in that. And, and it's the heart in me that says, oh, but they'll get it. They, they can do this job. We just got to give them a little more time. Yeah, it doesn't work like that when you're, when you're, when you're on quarterly reviews or you're on, uh, you've got defined metrics. So sometimes the best thing you can do for someone is say, I think this is not the right role for you. And in this moment, I don't have another role. But if I were to check this for a moment, how happy are you in the role right now? And do you feel you're succeeding? And if you open that up, people will go, I'm not having a good time. I'm not getting it either. I say, well, let's both have the wit and the wisdom to acknowledge that and move forward. So it's understanding your talent. Mm -hmm. It's it's getting your talent in alignment with the intention and getting their buy-in. You know, okay, I need you, to, I need you to take care of this aspect of it. Do you have enough information to do it? And number two, do you see the value in it? And number three, are you inspired to try and achieve it with us, to, to help us get there? You get an alignment of, 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 of those three questions in the affirmative of everybody on your team, and you understand what you're going to go do. You don't need expectation anymore. You're going to hit it, and you're probably going to exceed it. But it does take the time to make sure everyone's on the same page. So I think that's tremendously important in achieving any goal is to make sure you can't do it alone and uh, make sure the team that's with you understands what they're doing and they have the capacity to do it. You get to practice that in, in, in mega form here in your new role. It looks yeah, like. <laughs> so I'm. I'm. Uh, we were talking before that I have a 28 year old, I have a 23 year old, and my second wife and I are pregnant with our daughter Lily, who will be here on around November 8th. So, I get to go back into the world at 57 years old of being a of a new dad, and I'm just so excited by it. That's wonderful. Congratulations. So we could continue this, and I hope we will have many more opportunities to talk to you again on the show, but. As we close this show, I do want to ask this one question, and what would you like people to remember you by, and what does that epitaph look like for you? That I shared my heart at every opportunity possible. And uh, that, that if people know me for that, then, I, then I've, I've expressed myself in my grandest form, and uh, ideally I've left them with a piece of that heart that they can, they can share with others. That's... Uh, 
very touching thought to sort of walk away with. I hope many more uh, get to experience your life and and an opportunity to work with you. Well, I so appreciate this you. opportunity. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. I really, uh, it's been a it's been a joy for me. So thank you. Final thoughts from your guide for cracking the code, Sudhir Ispahani. Sudhir, we heard from someone from another industry, not tech, but real estate, about how sticking with your core values can make you super successful. This was one of those very unique interviews where Nick talked about things that were very personal that he went through, of course, uh, growing up in adverse circumstances early on in his childhood, and how he really translated that to say, look, I'm going to survive. I'm really not going to look back at my past and just live in it, but I'm going to look at a future that I know is going to be bright for me at a very young age. 14. Yeah. He was an orphan. Yeah. And that set him on a path because he consciously realized that he had to move forward and had to be a survivor. And so he developed, as a 14-year-old, a path to do that. Hearing him talk throughout the uh, podcast, he really talks a lot about you know, what his heart-first philosophies are. As you know, Alan, a lot of this show is about how you lead, how you guide, how you learn uh, with those core values and morals that come straight out of your heart. And he applied these values that were not necessarily thought to be associated with the real estate industry as a real estate agent, he applied those and has been super successful in an innovative way. The industry is built around closing the deal, getting the commission. There was an innovation that he brought to it that made made him and his company different. He had a, a guarantee that if we didn't deliver, you could just negate the deal, the listing, and walk away, even though he's already invested time and money into it. That's an innovation in the real estate industry to, to allow a, a seller just to walk away and take the listing with them. That's very unheard of, as you know, in that industry. And, and it comes back to one thing. If you want to do right by somebody, and he picked this up very early and uh, realized that it's more important to do right by somebody by honoring your word, making a commitment that you'll follow through. And in this industry, he made a name for himself. As you know, he's a very, very successful entrepreneur and uh, executive now with, uh, in the L.A. region. As a young real estate agent, he made a, a decision to change his mission. Yeah. He no longer would sell houses. Basically, he would give information. He would lead his clients, the buyers, to a decision based on providing them the full information, not filtering the information that enhanced the possibility of a sale, thus his commission. He, he was even ready to walk away from a potential sale because of that. This is one that I think it talks a lot about leading from the heart. He, uh, Nick just brings that out over and over again, and it's so important, I think, for those of us in leadership positions to take this message to heart and realize that when you start doing, practicing what your core values are in all facets of your life, you can't go wrong. And again, we hear the idea of clarity of communication. Keep your word, be dependable, and don't make a promise you're not going to keep. Right. Clarity of communication, consistent in these leaders who have cracked the code. <laughs> Thank you.